Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 119. This is um, the longest book in the Bible. This is actually the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And it is an entire uh, chapter devoted to reflecting and thinking on, uh, on the Word of God and just what a gift that is. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing this morning, but I would encourage you to do that. This is just one section, and if you notice in your, uh, in your Bible, it may actually have the little Hebrew letter or Hebrew uh, word above the section. It says Sade. This is because this entire chapter is actually an amazing acrostic poem uh, where every section of this poem, uh, every line of that section starts with the same letter. And so like the first one would be uh, like our A and the next one our B, where every line starts with that letter. And so it's a way of reflecting on the word of God from A to Z, to use English terminology. Tzade is just one of those letters. But as you look in there, you see all these weird words. <laughs> those are just Hebrew letters, and that's the order in that alphabet. And that's what those symbols are as well, uh, if that's there in your Bible. We're going to read uh, Psalm 119, verses 37, 137 sorry, to 144. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what a gift you have given us, uh, not only in uh, giving us life, but in giving us the provisions, providing for everything that we need. And God, we thank you for your word, or for you have revealed to us uh, who you are, who we are. Have you have revealed most of all, uh, Jesus to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to take this gift lightly or for granted. But God, we pray that you would help us uh, to listen to your word, to learn from your word. Lord, by your word and by your spirit, to be changed more and more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 137 to 144. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As John continues uh, this letter, he writes, Dear friends, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. 
and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, the last several weeks, we have been um, looking, last two weeks, we've been looking at uh, the issue of control and the issue of what it, what it feels like when things seem out of control and how that is actually not the case, that just because things are not in my control does not mean that things are out of control. And so we have looked at uh, strange passages to deal with that because we're actually looking at passages where Jesus is being betrayed and arrested. And so uh, it would seem like uh, you might want to go more to a passage where uh, Jesus is showing his power over all creation kind of things. And instead, we're looking at these passages where it's not that. Um, It's not the feeding of the 5,000. It's not turning water into wine. We're looking at Jesus being arrested, betrayed. And we're looking at these and saying, this is a moment where Jesus uh, shows that things are not out of control. This is where he was uh, heading, and this is, uh, even though the disciples missed it. See, you go to those other times where Jesus is feeding 5,000 when he's turning water into wine, and the disciples are like, yes, (laughs) yes, this is good, this is right, this is uh, a wonderful thing, this guy is in control. But now that he is being betrayed and arrested in the garden, we're not so sure anymore. And things seem out of control. And we looked at uh, Peter as he tries to take control again uh, with his sword. And Jesus says, no, no, no. <laughs> things are not out of control like you feel like they are. We looked last week at then Peter, still not sure about that. And so he denies Jesus three times. And this week, uh, we are continuing kind of in that same idea. We will continue looking at Jesus and what happens after his arrest. But now we're looking at this not so much in the terms of who's in control, though that certainly continues running through, but looking for uh, what it means to be the king. What it means to be the king and what uh, this kingdom is about. See, uh, titled this sermon this morning, King of the Jews, Part 1. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at passages where uh, Jesus is referred to as King of the Jews. Sometimes, um, in not, with not goodwill, let's put it that way. And so we're going to look at what various people understand that to mean, what that looks like, and what that means for Jesus to actually be the king. Uh, For this, we're looking this morning at uh, John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. And again, Jesus has already been arrested. He has been taken uh, to the high priest, and now he's going from the high priest on to the Roman governor, Pilate. Uh, to see what he's going to do with this situation. Uh, This is John 18, verses 28 through 40. 
says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. All right, there is clearly a lot going on in this passage. And uh, so we're going to walk through it a little bit, um, but kind of go at a clip as well. In the first section, I'm talking about verses 28 through 32, there are scene changes that happen. So the first section, it is Pilate talking with the Jewish leaders outside. Why is he talking to them outside? Jesus is inside. Why is he talking to them outside? He's talking to them outside because they are unwilling to come inside for this trial. They're unwilling to come inside for this trial because they want to stay clean. You know, while they are falsely accusing someone to get him murdered, they want to stay clean (laughs) so that they can uh, continue in their Passover celebrations. And um, there is just a, a thick irony there that here these people are who are clearly not doing right by God and yet have somehow twisted things in their own minds that they think, well, as long as we don't go inside that building, it doesn't matter what else we're doing. As long as we don't do that, we're still good. It is amazing uh, to see that. And yet, oh, they're not unusual in this. We're all so good at twisting things around and at self-deception. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? That we are so easily self-deceived that we can be doing something that is not right and have convinced ourselves there's nothing wrong with this. Perhaps you can look back at your own past and recognize times when you have done exactly that. Here's what's scary. 
typically when you have done that in the past, you didn't know it while you were doing it. <laughs> it was only later that you came to realize that it was happening. But the scary part is recognizing that we could be doing that right now to ourselves and not know it yet. This, again, is one of the reasons why we constantly have this uh, sort of drumbeat of we need to be reading the scriptures. We need to be doing that together. We need to be praying. We need to be praying together. And we need to be confessing together that we are able to self-deceive. Because it is when we do these things that the light, is, the, the light shines on our own dark places that we can easily ignore. And it helps us to face uh, the times when we are doing exactly what they're doing here. Um, more on that later. So Pilate is talking to them outside because, you know, they, don't, they want to stay clean. <laughs> and Pilate asks them, you know, what charges are you bringing against this man? That's a reasonable question. Here they have brought this man to be executed. And so he says, well, what's the charge? What is it that he's done? And do you hear their response? Their response is not, well, let me list all the things he's done. What they say instead is, well, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. In other words, he's already guilty, just trust us. There's no need for a trial. There's no need to look into any facts. There's just, just kill him. <laughs> this is not, uh, you know, everyone guaranteed the right to a fair trial. This is not uh, innocent until proven guilty. This is the opposite of that. This is guilty until proven innocent. And in fact, let's not even bother trying to prove him innocent. <laughs> just skip that part. He's already a criminal. He's already guilty. Just kill him. And Pilate doesn't think that sounds like a very good idea, and says, you do it. This is where we need to talk uh, some about the relationship between Pilate and the Jewish people. Because let me tell you, it's not a good relationship. (laughs) Pilate is not Jewish. He mentions that later. Am I a Jew, he says to Jesus? No, he's not. He's Roman. He's Roman. He's the Roman governor over this area uh, as this area is now under Roman jurisdiction. And Pilate has been sent from uh, Rome or nearby Rome. He has been sent, uh, appointed basically by the emperor Tiberius, uh, or one of his subjects anyway, and uh, to go to Judea to rule over this area uh, effectively as kind of a local king. But his main job is just make sure these people stay subjects of Rome. We don't want any revolt. We don't want people to stop paying taxes. Other than that, we don't really care. <laughs> so that's his job. Just keep them Roman subjects. And um, what we can tell historically, Pilate did not think very highly of the Jewish people, to put it nicely. And uh, here he is getting this appointment that is kind of way out on um, outskirts, far away from Rome, and uh, dealing with people he doesn't want to deal with, doesn't care about, doesn't like their stuff anyway. And, uh, but there he is. And so he doesn't ever seem to get it, though. Let me give you this example, one of the first things that he does when he comes 
to power in Judea as this Roman governor. Um, he is kind of headquartered in Caesarea up on the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And, but he comes into Jerusalem for you know, festivals and times where, hey, a lot of people are going to be there. Maybe some kind of a, an uprising is going to take place. We've got to have people there ready to deal with it. Well, at one point, he, uh, this is like one of the first things we know of what he does when he comes to town is he's in Caesarea, and he says, hey, let's move some troops to Jerusalem. And when he does, he brings the, uh, the Roman standards, his you know, banners on poles, and he goes, you know, makes sense. This is Roman area, right? So we're going to put the Roman stuff, and he takes it, and he puts it right by the temple, all these Roman banners, except that the banners have, you know, images of the emperor on it, so the images of Tiberius, and saying things about how Tiberius is the son of God. Is that going to go well with the Jewish people to put something with a graven image <laughs> and a blasphemous statement right by the temple? No. If you know anything about the Jewish people, they're not going to be okay with that. Pilate does not know anything about the Jewish people. And so he brings this in like, yeah, Roman, right? We're all Roman here. This is good stuff. And so he brings in this stuff. He puts it right by the temple and people are not okay with it. And so they start uh, letting them know. <laughs> they are protesting that this is going on. Well, Pilate is going to show that he is a, you know, strong leader who's going to take care of business. And so he gets some soldiers, has them surround the people, and then has them draw their swords and says, all right, you guys get out of here or we're going to start killing people. And the response of the Jewish people in this moment is not what Pilate expected. What happens in this moment, uh, according to Josephus, is he, the people actually laid down and bared their necks and said, go ahead and kill us. We would rather die than to have this go on. And Pilate is like, I don't know what to do with that. So now they've got him in a situation where he either, you know, kills people who are just laying down and then he looks like a jerk or he calls them off and then he looks weak for not being able to follow through on his threat. What's he do? He opts to not kill them. Probably a good call. But then he looks weak. And this is uh, part of his relationship with the Jewish people. I think that's a good example of uh, how his relationship with, with the Jewish people went the whole time. Yes, he's in power. Yes, he's in charge from the Roman side of things but he doesn't understand the people that he is uh, supposed to be ruling over. He doesn't ever really care to understand them. And so we have things like that that take place, and I think this is another one of those things. The Jewish people bring Jesus to Pilate, and they say, just kill him for us. And he's like, no, you do it. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I don't care. There's some other things historically going on I may talk more about next week uh, as we continue this that just have Pilate's mind kind of elsewhere. And so he says, look, if you want to kill him so badly, you've got your own law, you've got your own courts, you can do this, you don't need me. 
possible that Pilate means that. It's also possible that he knows if they really want to kill him, they do need him. And this is another power play where they have to admit, I mean, yeah, we want to kill him, but we, we can't. Like, our hands are tied. You're the one that has to do it. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And John tells us this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. He has talked about being crucified. He's talked about being lifted up. About the kind of death he's going to die. But Jewish people don't crucify people. That was a Roman thing. So it has to be. It has to come from Pilate. That's what happens outside. This interaction, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, about Jesus. But then it transitions. Pilate now has to go inside and actually question Jesus. What is going on? I'm not getting anything from these guys out here. They're not telling me. So he goes inside and asks Jesus just straight up, are you the king of the Jews? And why is he asking him if he's the king of the Jews? What does that mean for Pilate? Well, there have been numerous uprisings. There have been people who have been not happy being under Roman rule for quite some time. They want to be a free and independent people away with these uh, Romans. And so from time to time, you get these uh, figures, messianic figures, actually, who get groups of people around them who then come and they want to try to fight and kick Rome out of there so we can be our own nation. Well, it kind of seems from the outside, to Pilate anyway, like maybe that's what Jesus is. This is the kind of charge that they would have uh, been giving Pilate anyway, maybe even before his arrest. There's a guy who's trying to be a king. You don't want that, do you, Pilate? That's not going to look good uh, to, to the emperor who appointed you here. So he asks him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? The way that Jesus responds through this whole thing, it does not sound like a man who is out of control. And it does not sound even like a man who is on trial for his life. It sounds like someone who understands where this is all headed. He knows where this is all going. He knows that he's headed to the cross. And yet, even in this moment, he is still able to talk to Pilate as a man who needs to be saved. Even when Jesus' own life is on the line, he says, yes, and it could be for you too. The salvation that I come to bring could be for you. This is how he talks to Pilate. Is that your own idea? Those talk to you about me. Pilate says, am I a Jew? Uh, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? In other words, I don't care. I just really don't care. I just want to know what you did so I know if it's something that I should be killing you about or not. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. What is Jesus talking about here? What Pilate hears is Jesus acknowledging 
Okay, so you, you're saying you're a king. Like that's the point here? No, that's not the point. The point is, Pilate has an idea of what it means to be king. And it, there are certain rules that you operate by as the king. Rules of power and force and persuasion by the sword. This is what Pilate tried, right? When the Jewish people said, you've got to uh, take these Roman standards out of here. And he tries, ruling by force. It doesn't work. And what Jesus is saying is, there's a different kind of kingdom entirely. You're ruling by the world's kingdom, and the world's system. And it's not getting you anywhere. It's like, look, I am a king, yes, but not that kind of king. I have a kingdom, but it's the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms, not like the kingdoms of this world. But all Pilate hears is, oh, okay, you're king. Got it. Check. No, you don't have it. <laughs> so Jesus says, you say that I am a king. Listen. He says, the re- in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Oh, what a statement. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Look, if Pilate actually were concerned about the truth, would Jesus go to the cross? No. What is it he's done wrong? Nothing. But what Jesus is talking about here, I mean, think big picture, because Jesus says, this is why I came. Have you ever wondered, what is it? why did Jesus come? Why, why was he born to the world? He tells us, for this reason I came, for this reason and I was born and came into the world, to testify to the truth. It's really easy for us to miss what he's saying there, unless we're thinking more big picture. Because when we tend to think about truth these days, we tend to think about things like facts, as in uh, math and science and history. So things like uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4. True, right? We're thinking about things you'd put on a true-false test. And, uh, but when Jesus says that he came to testify to the truth, is that what he meant? That he come as a math teacher? To tell everybody what's true mathematically? No. Not that he would disagree with any, uh, any math facts, but that's not what he's talking about. He didn't come as a math teacher. He says that he came as the true vine. Now, what does that mean? It's different for what it means for a vine to be true and 2 plus 2 equals 4 to be true, isn't it? When Jesus says that he comes as the true vine, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, there is a truth there that's different than just math facts or facts about history or about science or whatever. This is a uh, theological and anthropological truths that are happening here. In other words, Jesus' life is showing us truly who God is and truly who man is. Do you think it matters if we get God wrong as to who he is and what he's about, if God exists or not, if he cares or not, if he loves us or not? Does that matter in our everyday lives? Yeah. 
you think it matters if we get human beings wrong? Of what our reason for existence is? What our purpose in being alive is about? You think it matters if we get that wrong? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And throughout human history, we've gotten all of that wrong in about as many different ways as you possibly can. And so when Jesus says, for this reason I was born, and the reason I came into the world is to testify to the truth, he's talking much bigger than just facts and figures. He's talking about revelation, revealing who God is, revealing who people are and what our purpose in life is all about. And that relationship between God and man, how it has been broken and needs to be restored. This is what Jesus has come to accomplish. And he says, if you are actually seeking what is true, you'd listen to me. The one who is the way and the truth and the life is standing right before Pilate, saying, if you are on the side of truth, you'd actually hear what I'm saying. And Pilate doesn't hear it because he's not on the side of truth. He responds by saying, what is truth? Pilate does not care what is true. Pilate cares what is expedient. He cares about uh, short-term, is this going to work for me? How is this going to look to the people out there? How is this going to look to the people who sent me here back in Rome? Is this going to end up with me getting killed or is this going to end up with me getting a promotion? That's what I care about. True or not, I don't care. So he doesn't listen. Well, we will pick up more of that conversation next week, but at this point, Pilate goes outside and we get uh, the, the second conversation between Pilate and the Jewish leaders outside. It says, when he went out again to the Jews gathered there, He said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Do you hear this? They've said he needs to be killed, obviously. Everyone can tell he needs to be killed, right? And Pilate's like, well, I talked to him, and no, I don't don't get that. He hasn't necessarily understood what Jesus is saying, but he also hasn't seen anything deserving of death. Yeah, he claims like maybe he's a king, but he doesn't look kingly, as far as I can tell. I find no basis for a charge against him. In other words, he's innocent. And at this point, Pilate can let him go. Everything is done. Pilate has that power. But in a weird move, Pilate doesn't exercise that power. But he gives that power back to the people and says, you guys can release him. This is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Again with this king language. And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Um, was a bandit or an outlaw depending on how you look at that. It is interesting to me 
that when Pilate offers him, offers Jesus up to be released, he doesn't say, do you want me to release Jesus? But he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And the people don't respond by saying, who? Isn't that interesting? When Pilate refers to Jesus as the king of the Jews, by their answer, they acknowledge that he is the king of the Jews, or at least they understand that claim. But they say no, because they don't want him as their king. So who is it they choose to release instead? Barabbas. One of those people who has likely been in one of these uprisings that has taken place to kick Rome out by force. They say, we want that guy. We don't want Jesus. There are a couple things uh, going on with this. One is in this moment you have clearly the gospel of the innocent going to his death so that the guilty can go free. We are all in the position of Barabbas. We are all the rebels who have uh, fought against a legitimate authority, that being God. This is what Paul tells us in Romans. We're all enemies of God. And yet Jesus dies for us. That we can have freedom because of his death. We're all in the position of Barabbas here. But, to look at it another way, think about the decision that the people are making. Jesus has explained to Pilate, yes, I'm a king, but I'm not a king like the kings of this world. The way that I rule is different. I rule in truth. I deal in truth. And I call people to follow me. And what the crowds are saying at this point is, we don't want to follow him. We don't want that kind of king. We want the Barabbas kind. We want uh, the kind that we can understand. Power, force, manipulation. You just take it and you grab it. Might makes right. That we understand. That we get. We'll take him. And as for this Jesus, we don't get it. We don't want to get it. Because it is so different from the ways that we do things. If you look at the beginning of this passage and the end of this passage, you see Jesus in the middle talking about his kingdom and about truth. You look at the beginning, how do these people uh, rule? Power, manipulation, those kinds of things. And then who is it that they choose to release? The one that's just like them. And yet, in doing so, uh, they kind of turn away from the one who actually could show them a different way. The one who could actually give them a new kind of life. And this is where this whole passage comes home for us. It's when we think about Jesus as the king of the Jews, it's actually much more than just the king of the Jews, isn't it? That he is, as we say, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is over all of it, and that includes us, that he is the king of this kingdom of heaven. And he has invited us to follow him as our king. And all too often, we do just what the crowds do here. And we follow kings that are more like us by nature. 
instead of the true king who can give us true life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.